Welcome back to Twins Talk TV, The Peripheral. This week we'll be covering episode 7 of Amazon's newest breakout sci-fi series. This is Beep. You can reach me on Twitter or Hive at Beepsplain, and I am joined by Mick. And you can find me on Twitter and Hive at Micknick1291. So, I will admit this. Mom does have a name. <laughs> it is Ella. It is Ella, and I learned it from the episode synopsis, which I will read for you now. It says, Flynn, Burton, and Connor meet with Lowbeer and are put to the test. Meanwhile, Ella's life is in danger, and Tommy deals with the sheriff and Corbell Pickett his own way. Even just the synopsis, if I were just to read that first, I'd be like, oh my god, this episode is going to be so good. And yet, it cannot remotely prepare you for what we're about to get into. No, but I will say that all of the low beer stuff is just so delicious. Low beer is beyond a standout to just swoop right in here and take over everything on screen. I am so fucking impressed with her. I love low beer so much. And Beatrice. We're going to get to Beatrice. We we just got to jump into the episode and get to it. Let's dive. I've got so much. So where are we starting? Well, 2032, Fisher Residence. We know that Burton, Connor, and Flynn are currently indisposed in 2100. So Mom was home alone, washing some dishes, when we get a really cool visual effect where all of the edges of our vision as the viewer goes fuzzy. And all of a sudden, the actress does a really good job of like having her eyes be focused on her task and then suddenly just be staring straight ahead because Mama just went blind again. What do we think about that? I mean, honestly, did she stop taking the medication or is this just like convenient plot device for the unfridged Mama? Yeah, I I have questions about that, too. I have questions. One question is, did she stop taking the medication? Another question, because I'm also always looking for Shady, is did they give her something that was temporary? Just to get Flynn and Burton and all them to cooperate? Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. Or did Charisse, like, realize that they gave her medication and then, like, subtly tweak the the formula? Could be any of those. Could be nothing. <laughs> like you said, could just be Mama getting fridged again. Convenient plot device because we need to get Mama to a clinic. Right, exactly. So she goes outside and asks if anybody's there. And of course, this is how I, I think it was a little kind of like, oops, you could see it. But she blatantly says, you know, to, to Reese, ask if he can take her to the doctor. And of course, he's going to. Okay. Did they have to make me love Reese this episode? Did they have to do that? Obviously, because they had to kill him. And I am mortified. <laughs> and in like the most graphic, terrible way possible. Like, oh my God. I have plenty to say about that when we get there. Yep. We're, we're going to get there. So Reese, she admits to Reese that she's blind again. So she needs help to get to the car. He helps her to the car. And as they're driving away, we fucking pan over to see goddamn Bob staking out the Fisher residence and starting his car to follow them because he just, he's like, we just can't get rid of him. Bob is a fucking cockroach. God. And I I just cannot with this dude. So, I mean, smart though. At least he's doing something smart this time. He's utilizing the fact that, you know, she's leaving and he's basically going to use mom against the kids so he can set up this showdown. But Bob, yes, Bob. I'm sorry, show. We don't like Bob. Sorry. Didn't like him. Don't like him. We don't like Bob. Sorry. And if you're a huge Bob stan... 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and I got to say, at this point, I do truly believe, obviously, with, with what Burton's doing, that he's dead. And that just unfortunately makes everything we said since episode five about him to me really ring true. Like we spent way too much time on this guy. Yeah. We spent way too much time on Bob. So then we get our credit sequence and then we open back up in 2100 at Lev's residence. We pick up where we left off where Lobier just asks Flynn if she actually has a plan or if she intends on continuing to just react and keep parrying blows as they come and hoping for the best. And I love Lobier. She is incredible, but also what in the world is Flynn supposed to be doing? I mean, she no, she doesn't have a plan. She doesn't even fully know what the game is yet. I yeah, don't think she, she doesn't know what <laughs> game they're playing. She is just kind of feeling the situation out as she makes her way through it. So they actually mention this here and then it's said in a different way later on. But I haven't been really taking into context quite the time frame or or maybe just didn't realize how it was going but she asks Flynn like your life has taken some decidedly unexpected turns in the past week or so well no if you think about it yeah it's been a week it hasn't been long at all like we're not actually skipping really any time between like maybe you know it might be like from morning to night or the next day or something like that but I didn't contextualize how short this period has actually been which makes some of Lobier's digs later on even more pronounced. It really does. So I have no problem with Lobier busting in and just disrespecting the ever-loving fuck out of Lev because Lev. And I didn't have a problem with it when she did it. And I definitely don't have a problem with it once we get later to the episode and see what his annoying ass is doing. Well... So before Flynn can think up an answer, Lowbeard decides that it's time to get some fresh air and take a walk in a decidedly less oppressively decorated locale. <laughs> she is so extra. I love her so much. And Love is like, well, ha 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 ha, would you be interested in the garden? And she's like, no, I am going to bebop out of your house with the peripherals and our gang from the past. And we're going to go finish this conversation al fresco. <laughs> she's just got her own language going on in the way she, she, I just, I mean, she's so extra. It's literally all I can say. Like some of the words that she uses throughout this episode, I'm like, you did not need to say that. No. And I apologize in advance because we're going to be fangirling over Lobier like the entire time. <laughs> Probably, probably. And then only others as this continues to go on. Yeah. And Flynn is like, okay, but I feel a whole lot more comfortable with this whole, like, I don't know what the fuck I just walked into situation if Wilf could come along. And Lobier finds it so fucking adorable that Flynn has made a friend in 2100 and then throws a pointed look at Wilf. She is so above everybody you know what i mean just dismissive of these people with their little lives like we'll see that she has like superpowers shortly yeah but she asked him to come though so i was like cool all right i'm 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 warming up to you i'm feeling a little bit better for perhaps about your intentions you're not just gonna like go chain all these people up probably so she tells him to be a sport and come along yes and as they exit there is a very 
heavy look between love and will. And we cut over to 2032 and we're at Dee Dee's clinic where Reese is helping mama into Dee Dee's exam room. And my questions are, is Dee Dee always in that one room? And is there only one doctor? And is there only one exam room? Because everybody just keeps busting into this one room and she's always sitting there. Is she a hostage? But there's somebody up front who needs to take lunch. So apparently they came in through the back. Yeah, I have no idea. Absolutely no clue. Wait, but then he had to go back out and tell her. So I guess they came in through the front and yeah, she was just waiting for the appointment. Liz needs to find new employment because she sucks at her job. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yes, Dee Dee is a prisoner and let's continue from there. (laughs) So Reese helps Mama onto the exam table and Didi's like, oh, what's going on, Ella? Like, you know, it's never a problem to see you. I always enjoy our, our, our visits. Like, what's what's going on? And Reese is like, hi, I'm uncomfortable and this is a security <laughs> risk. Can I please wait outside? But the man with the giant gun is asking if he can leave the room. <laughs> well, it's mama. You don't fuck with mama. I know he's such a good boy. Just they're they're making him so goddamn amazing this episode that like you just it's like Chekhov's nice person okay so we basically have like three stories going on in this episode we've got what's happening with flynn and lobier and crew in 2100 we've got what's going on over at lev's in 2100 and we've got what's going on in 2032 with mama oh and tommy we got four storylines and they keep and we're gonna do this chronologically it would be really easy for us to just say okay here's storyline one two three four But I think that the way that they cut them all together builds the suspense in the episode. And I think in a way that we need to honor. No, absolutely. It doesn't. That's what I was going to say. They cut out of these scenes so quickly, usually ending with like a question. And then they go right to something else. And I'm like, wait, no. But they always come back to it and cycle around. Like, because I've said it before, I will say it on the opposite side. I think the time in this episode was brilliantly utilized. Yes, I 100% agree with you. So we got to leave. We got to leave Mama. And we got to head over to the police station. Liz is already gone. Liz went to take lunch, effectively saving her life. And then we find Tommy. We're It's like deja vu. He's talking to Gladys again about the same shit. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Gladys. She's just caught in the middle of this nonsense. And she truly views it as nonsense. She's like, why is this this boy in my face? Well, he want, he just wants to stop in to make sure that the evidence he collected on the bridge was cataloged correctly. And Gladys still thinks that Tommy's on drugs because she's like, what evidence is it? Like, explain it to me. And he's like, well, you know, the, the, the suspect had a Glock and a doodad that kind of looked like a flashlight. And, oh, Tommy. Oh. Boy, you need a thesaurus. You need to come up with a better word. And she's like, like, she's like, like a thingamabob. <laughs> okay. But this was the moment where I thought, Tommy is like us. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, once he shoots it, then maybe he'll call it Sonic Boom Boom Gun. <laughs> yeah. That's what we do with things that we don't understand. We just throw a name at it and keep moving. It's like Kinko's. Yeah, so we, we cut over to 2100 now where... Flynn is like, what is this place? And we see Lowbeer leading uh, the boys, Flynn and Wilf, into this. It looks like a police gun range, but when you look out into where the range is, there's just rubble. 
Yeah, it looks almost like it was bomb testing. Yeah. And Flint asks what this place is. And Lobier explains that it's a Met Police training facility that they called the zoo. And Beatrice chimes in with, it's where the animals come to play. And I love Beatrice, <laughs> too. Beatrice and Lobier. God, I love them. So this place, for whatever reason, I don't ever... I don't fully understand how this works with all their veils and such, but it's secure from RI surveillance or interference. So somehow this is a secret location right out in the open. And klept. Yes. Ooh, let's not let the klepts in, which they glare at Wills. Yep. So Lobier's like, time to have some fun. She's sending off Burton and Connor. Hey, Beatrice, how many floors do you think they can manage? And she's like, well, we'll try eight. Lobier is like, hmm, it's pretty ambitious. Okay. And then we build a story building out of nothing. She waves her hand from like the ground up and a eight floor building just starts to fucking manifest in front of them. And Flynn is just kind of like fucking 2100. But Connor and Burton, they're like wide eyed children. Like, holy shit. Yeah, she's seen this. So I can only guess even though they've pretty much allowed us to consider that either people are so tied into the technology here or that, I mean, it almost looks like magic, but I can assume from, you know, the, what I learned from an outlying book fact that these are the assemblers, that this is all made by like the nanobots and that was, she's waving her hands about, I don't know that it really matters, but it is like the book explanation for how this stuff keeps happening. That appears as though it's magic. Well, I mean, I think that's a better explanation than me just being like, I think they all have magical powers. (laughs) (laughs) But only sometimes in some places. Only occasionally do they have magical powers. I mean, I would not be opposed to watching Lobier and Charisse, like, have a wizard duel. So if if that is what we're going for, I'm like, I'm fine with it. But somebody needs to explain that that's what's happening. Otherwise, I'm just assuming it's a similar uh, yeah, I, I think that what you're saying is probably what it actually is. It would be nice if they maybe just on the bottom or like in the in the closed caption was like assemblers build buildings so that there's some context. <laughs> so it's not just hand wavy uh, architecture coming yeah. up because unlike where you look over, you know, on the cityscape and when Wilf pulled it back for Flynn, you can see like it's all a freaking disastrous mess. This is something that you can be inside it's like a full-on building so it feels different to me than whatever they've been doing to like essentially camouflage the destruction that's going on throughout the city yeah instead of the augmented reality where they're like tricking your brain into thinking something's there here they're like physically building something exactly so beatrice leads the boys away and flynn's like can i go too (laughs) oh she wants to go but lobier has another test for flynn we cut inside of this new training building And Beatrice explains that at each floor, there will be a series of assailants to beat. And the goal is to make it to the roof. And we learn through their conversation that the number of of assailants increases by six on each floor. So they start with six, go to 12, end at 48 on the top floor. And then there's a surprise at the top. And Connor naturally is like, all right, what's the su- surprise? And Beatrice, being a witty motherfucker, is like, a surprise is generally defined as an unexpected event. And then she snarkily goes, do you need me to define unexpected? <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> this whole dynamic kills me. Connor 
from I feel like the very first moment is smitten. Oh yeah. And I love that he doesn't even try to deny it. <laughs> Mm-mm. He absolutely adores Beatrice so hard. And Connor just asks, he's like, are you a human or are you like some kind of robot? And she's like, I'm just special. Why? Like, what? what's why are you asking? And he's like, well, you're not too concerned about the bodily uh, harm and they should be a bit more worried about themselves. Then the lights go out and Burton looks a little like, oh, shit, we have to fight in the dark. And Connor, like, knows that Burton is, I guess, not realizing that the haptic situation is from the future. And is like, hey, bro, we have dark vision. It works the same as our haptics, tongue to palate. Which I feel like I would accidentally be switching on my night vision constantly. I was thinking that. I'm like, but what about when I eat? <laughs> like, it's just like your eyes are just going, plain vision, night vision, plain vision, night vision. <laughs> just, that is exactly what I felt like I would do. when I was, like, I was like, oh no, that would be bad. And then they fight and it's badass. It is so badass. Beatrice helps a little, but spends more time scanning Burton and Connor with her internal, like, video game scoring. Like, she's watching them fight in real life, for all intents and purposes. And her, like, what she's seeing is, like, dodge block plus 300 points, quick attack, minus, like, yeah. It's like playing, like, Mortal Kombat. It truly was. I was like, oh, okay, now this is just, like, flashback old school. I love it. She says to them, though, after they get done with the first group, she's like, speed, intensity, and violence of action. That's your unit's motto, right? And they're like, yeah. And she's like, well, maybe like a little more speed would be nice. (laughs) Well, because they finish fighting the six coids on the first floor. And Burton is like, what are these things? And and Beatrice is just like, oh, it's your basic coid series 24A. And he's like, what the fuck's a coid? She's like, oh, it's just just your typical uh, bipedal robot. And Burton is like, looks pretty human to me. And Connor's like, yeah, it's got human eyes. And she pulls its like ninja mask off. And you see the koi, like everything but the, the area that wasn't exposed in the mask is is the co- classic koi structure that we're used to. Like Daniel's face with the crisscrossy white ship. Exactly. She's like, it's just to make it look more realistic. Yeah, because it's the only thing that you could see through the uh... shit. What are those called? What are those masks? Baliklava. There you go, through the balaclavas. I almost said baklava. I think that might have been what I was thinking too. (laughs) Now I'm hungry. Great. Pause for snacks. No, we're good. We're going to get through this and then it'll be snack time. So we go back to Tommy, who's like thinking to himself, well, if the only thing that came in was my messed up car, then why don't we go see what's in my messed up car? Now, are we, he, he breaks into a location. Now, is this, police evidence storage or is this the junkyard that's a great question i read it as being evidence storage but it might have been the junkyard either way i got the impression that thing was very much slated for destruction i mean it was a really totaled car yeah like oh we don't need this anymore let's go smash it up and throw it out i'm a little maybe surprised that they didn't bother taking anything out of it I think that that was a move on purpose from Sheriff Dipship. Yeah, maybe. But he finds what he's looking for. And this is the moment when I knew Tommy was my people. When he's like, yeah, Gladys, 
fucking doodad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he breaks in, he finds this car, breaks into it, searches it, and finds under the seat Bob's Glock. And then he finds, like, between the seats, the doodad. And, uh, like, everybody in 2032, when they find the doodad, they turn it on and they fire it. Yeah, and it goes really well for all involved. So he blows out all the glass on the side of the cruiser that wasn't hit, but somehow survived. Yeah, and now, and I get to say it because we know it's going to happen, we truly have a Chekhov's item in this episode, which is the doodad. Chekhov Sonic Boom Boom Doodad. I was like, Tommy, we would be such good friends. <laughs> well, moments after Tommy fires the doodad and blows all the windows out of his cruiser, he gets a phone call from Sheriff Dipshit. And the sheriff is like, hey, I need you uh, right now. And he's like, I thought I was on leave. He's like, yeah, I'm canceling it. I need you to get to Corbell's residence ASAP. Tommy's like, all right, got it. Because he's such a good little soldier that he doesn't even think of the clusterfuck that he's walking into. Here's what I noticed that he said. He specifically said, I need you to help me fix it. Whatever the situation was. And I was like, oh, that's bad. That's problematic. He's calling you to do something bad. This is not like, I need a hand there, patrol boy. Like, this is... He's about to get you involved in something you have no business being anywhere near. Nope, our sweet naive, our sweet summer child, Tommy. Oh, sweet summer Tommy. We jump over as Tommy heads out to go to the Pickett's residence to Dee Dee's clinic. And outside of the clinic in his car, Bob really graphically like did not approve of the inclusion of this in a program. Cuts his arm open like really grossly. Super deeply, super deeply. And he, we cut right to him having wrapped it in cloth and bursting into the clinic being like, Oh, I'm really badly injured. I need help. I need help. And Reese has his hand on the gun as soon as the door opens, but he sees like these bloody rags and he's like, Oh shit, sir, do you need help? And then Bob just fucking stabs him like five times. Okay. So we got a couple things going on here. I do not love the let me cut myself in a way that looks very suicidal. Don't love that. Yeah, it was it was very problematic watching it. I had to skip the scene when I rewatched the episode. As somebody who has a history of self-harm, it was a very difficult thing to view. Exactly. No, and it, it was visceral. I don't... It is what it is, okay? It was in there. I'm not hugely complaining about it, but I clocked it. I know you did too, so that... I mean, that's... That's pretty much all I have to say about it. But I, di- I didn't love that. And the other thing, the stabbing, I mean, it is like animalistic. I mean, I thought for a second that Reese was going to win. And I'm like, oh, my God, where is he? Stab-? He's like just stabbing him everywhere, all over a million times. Yeah. I mean, we get a little monologue from Bob about his methodology and like the sound effect every time he gets stabbed makes it feel even more visceral. Oh, it's very squelchy. It's very squelchy. So like they did a really good job of making it as uncomfortable as possible, especially after making us kind of really like, like Reese has been a tertiary character. He's been on the outskirts the entire season. He has, but he's also been mentioned enough that we know he's such a good guy you know and he's been helping them out so it's not like 
Reese is a little bit to 2032 what Alita is to 2100. I mean, don't get me wrong. She's way more important. But Reese is like brought up enough, even if he's not there, for you to know like he really is part of this cohesive unit of Burns. His presence is felt even when he isn't present himself. Exactly. So we have some sort of, you know, knowledge of him. And now as he comes in, like the one thing he's doing is being a freaking absolute hero to blind mama. I mean, be real. Like we love the dude. Okay. So the fight is going on. A gunshot rings out and mama's like, what is that? And Didi's like, uh, shit. Call Tommy. Tells her phone to call Tommy. Obviously Tommy doesn't answer because he's off trying to get his job back, I guess. And eventually we cut back to Reese and Bob fighting. Eventually Bob gets the best of Reese because Reese has like 50 billion stab wounds at this point and he's losing blood. Granted, not as much blood as I would expect. And then he gets choked out to death by Bob and Bob dumps him on the ground and like he's on his back. And then Dee Dee and Mama come out of the room and they're like, Reese? But instead they get held at gunpoint by fucking Bob. And Dee Dee's trying to protect Mama. She's like, oh, it's all right. Where's, you know, where's Reese? Oh, he just, uh, he stepped outside. It's, it's fine. And then when we look, when we cut back from Dee Dee and Mama, we cut back and we see what I believe in the parlance of this show means that they're actually dead. And we see it a few times in this episode is Reese lying in a pool of his own blood. Right. I think that nobody is dead until you see the shot of them lying in a pool of their own blood. Yeah, no, I, I totally feel you on that. So Bob, he's very nice to the ladies, but he is creepy as fuck. He's being very cordial with him, but just basically wants them to both be quiet before we get back to, to their scene. So Bob instructs them to sit down in the waiting room in, in some chairs and sit on their hands. And he grabs Reese's phone and unlocks it with Reese's corpse face, which makes you really sit down and wonder, should I be using face lock on my phone? I don't think so. <laughs> it basically made me think I'm like, he's putting it too close. That wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> I love how you just like always pick up on the thing. Like, sure. Suspension of disbelief for all this other stuff. But that is so unrealistic. <laughs> And then Mama, as he's like scrolling through Reese's phone, Mama turns to Dee Dee and just kind of not whispers, but not loudly. She goes, it's the man from the bridge, isn't it? And Bob is like, Shh, I'm going to need you both to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Please and thank you. <laughs> and then we can leave them in that tension for, for a little while longer as we cut over to Ash and Ossian at Lev's house pointing out that Lobier sampled their DNA. And I love how Ash is like fangirling over yeah. <laughs> Like Ash isn't Ossian is like very thrown off and concerned. He's like, they sampled our DNA, like this is a problem. And Ash is like, Well, how else would they know who we are? And she's honestly more interested in fangirly about the fact that she's met a senior police officer now. And Ossian's like, they're all like that. Like he has trauma. From mm -hmm. senior police officers and Ash is like, this is a novel new experience. How neat. Because he's like, yeah, maybe we could sample hers back. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, then we would be locked up. We can't do that. Yeah, but he, Ossian specifically mentioned, though, they're all like that. And and Lobier even knew Ossian in the last episode. That's because Ossian has a past. Sure. Need to learn more about this guy. 
So Lev decides it's on him to just call and ask the technicals to be like, yeah, I want to see all the peripherals points of view. And she's like, "Uh, no, no. She basically is like the police would totally know that we do this. And just like they probably know that we're having this rather misguided conversation and hangs up on him. Yeah. And Ossian immediately knows like, oh, my God, that dumbass just asked us to like hack didn't he and he's just trying to get them to leave he's like ash dude i think like we need to get out of here and ash is like if we leave all of this was for nothing they'd lose access to the stub and what's inside flynn ossian says that it's not worth dying over but ash could not live with herself if she ran away from it and this entire conversation is in technical gibberish where they're like very good you've learned another language yeah and at the moment when she kind of says that i mean we know that she's referencing obviously the sub and obviously flynn but we still don't know what the information is but it definitely makes her sound very more like rebel team than we've seen from them before they're very much like not necessarily on board with what lev has going on no, and then in one of the better lines, they switch out of gibberish talk and they're on opposite sides of a table. And she goes, and she's the best accent, and I love it she so does. much. She's like, Ossian, are you steady? And he's like, Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking steady. Their bond, now that we're getting more of like just the two of them, is so cool. And they call each other love. I know, and I wonder what their history is. I mean, I think that's like very British in general. I know, but I just like it. It shows a, it shows a level of, of connection. Not that they're necessarily actually in love, which I would love if they were. But it shows that they like, because when we first met Ash and Ossian, like they were the two technicals, but they were very separated in the scenes that we saw. There was a lot of space between them. Right. And now we're seeing them one-on-one. And we saw this a bit in the last episode, but we can tell that they're a unit. Right. They have a very specific type of connection that the, neither of them has to either, to anyone else. So we jump back to the Met Police training facility. To the zoo. To the zoo. Where Lobier says that the aunties, which are the Met's data sorting algorithms, have tracked down some rather interesting information about Flynn's timeline before the RI fucked with it. One, Connor didn't get blown up in the Texas Secession War, but the Texas Secession War did in fact happen, and we did call that in the last episode. Yeah, I mean, that's, I do fear we are looking into our own future here, folks. Yeah, we we are looking into our own future. So Connor didn't get blown up, but Burton did fucking die. Additionally, they went into war, but they didn't have haptics, because the haptics are actually from the R.I. jacking with her timeline. In Lobier's timeline, they went to war as regular soldiers. And additionally, after Burton died, Flynn, sweet Flynn, got married to Tommy. Sheriff Thomas Constantine. And they had two fucking children. So he's the sheriff, or was, in that world. And Flynn was married to them. And then he had their little family. But Burton was dead. One more fact about the jackpot. 
that the jackpot is actually happening at an accelerated rate in Flynn's stub, which Lobier figures is the point of what the RI is doing. And she gets all this information. She's like, oh, shit, my brother died. I got to marry Tommy. Like, what is going on? And Flynn is like, Will, you said that we couldn't, you, like, none of this information was accessible. But Lobier jumps in and is like, well, he wasn't lying. The aunties have access to information in archives that aren't available to the general public. And then I forgot to mention this part here. I'm going to we're just going to go back when Lobier tells Flynn about marrying Tommy. Lobier throws a not so subtle dig at Wolf, like gives him a pointed look. And she just goes, makes one wonder about etiquette here. Whether congratulations are in order. Okay, so I want to connect this back real quick to the conversation that we started having a couple episodes ago where we were kind of open to the possibility that they had branched off into the freaking multiverse here because it was unclear if every experiment they were doing was branching off a different stub. And I think we had this one theory at some point. I do want to give us credit that I think we got right. Now we know there are only two timelines. We have 2100 and we have the stub. It's simply that the stub started a long time before they interacted with Flynn. Yes. Which, however, though, would have been the moment that Wilf and Lev's became aware of it. So they're not lying. They didn't know. Ash and Ossie and all like that entire, you know, our team 2100, if you will, did not know about this. So the entire timeline that we have leading up to 2032 is all one timeline yes so whenever they started interfering which it sounds like the haptics was some of the first interferences that they started doing lobier does say at least a decade before so whatever changes are being made now have just like already happened what i do want to point out though one of the things when we were talking about like which is the main timeline. Why? If they're not a million timelines, you mentioned at one point, holy shit, maybe 2100 is an experiment by someone else being like, what if everything went wrong? And instead it appears that's what 2100 is doing to us. Fucked up, yo. Yeah. They're just tossing everything in and be like, huh, what happens? And what they're doing is accelerating the jackpot. So they're not finding or, or attempting to find any way to, stave it off they're just like let's send these you know poor non-human schmucks into a worse future than us even faster basically this is what happens when you let scientific minds go unchecked yep yeah as somebody with a more scientific mind yeah you got to keep us in check (laughs) yeah with with no ethics at all with no regard for human life there's like no end to what somebody can think up to do and then actually do. And then Lobier turns to Flynn and is like, the aunties have told me a lot about a Flynn Fisher that no longer exists. But the the Flynn that's in front of her, she knows absolutely nothing about, next to nothing about, and she finds that kind of fun. But also a little disconcerting. Sure, because Flynn is now a wild card. And She asks her, have you ever had a job interview? And she's like, well, only at Kinko's. 
but it wasn't really a job interview. It was just a drug, drug test. And she's like, and did you pass? And Flynn's like, fuck you. Yeah, I passed. And then Lobier basically explains that they're going to do a bit of a job interview. That first, like, get to know you moment. And she's going to ask Flynn a series of questions. And she wants Flynn to answer with the first thing that pops into her mind without sinking. But before we get to that, we cut into the training building for a real quick second where we just see Bert and Connor and Beatrice kicking ass. <laughs> and then cut away from that because it's time to go back and see Bob again. Yeah, fucking Bob. He monologues. Here we have the uh, the evil dude's monologue explaining what he's doing and why he's there. And actually, he's not explaining anything. <laughs> he's being weird, as Bob is wont to do. Well, he sees that he no he doesn't see that, but he assumes that Dee Dee has eyed the knife he's left on the floor. Right. So he monologues and says, You have the actual transcription, you can summarize his monologue because I wrote down in my notes he monologues. <laughs> I mean, essentially that's close enough. But he said, you know, he spent about thirty minutes talking about what you can learn about how to use a knife, but he was really just trying to convey to her, if you go ahead and grab that, like, it's not going to work out well for you. They do try to give him one moment of, like, levity and comedy, and it doesn't land for me. But he says that Dee Dee would get about one good swipe in before he opened her up. And he's like, oh, what do you call it? A sieve or a colander? What's the difference between those? And I'm like, that, what, wah, wah, get out of here, Bob. What even, I, I feel like. That wasn't a good correlation between slicing a body open and the stuff that leaks out. I don't know. I think he was going to say that he was going to stab her like 70 million times and turn her into Swiss cheese. Oh, for sure. But then say that. <laughs> but that would have worked better than being like, I'm going to turn you into a sieve or a colander. Ha ha. Full of holes. I get it. Oh, bad. Just bad. It didn't work. Yeah. Bad, Bob. We cut back to the training building where Bert and Connor and Beatrice burst out onto the roof. And the boys are fucking exhilarated. They are flying high. They got the adrenaline going. They're in their element. They're doing shit they love, which is killing people. Yeah, tons of fun there. And Burton is the one that's like, this is fucking amazing. Connor, again, goes ahead and reiterates for anyone that wasn't clear on it. Bitch, I'm moving here. <laughs> Full time. Like, This is the life I want. Yep. But now we now they get their surprise. They get their surprise. The challenge isn't over until only one of them is left standing. And the boys look at each other and they square up to face Beatrice together, which means that they're going to have to, if they do somehow manage to beat her, they're going to have to duke it out together or against each other. But we cut, we cut down to the ground level where Lobier is asking Flynn a lot of questions. She asks her, what's your biggest fear? It's mama dying. What's her greatest strength? And it's that she doesn't know when to give up. And she goes, what's your greatest weakness? And she's like, same thing. Same thing. And I'm like, that's some level of uh, self-awareness that I love to see in my protagonists. I was absolutely floored by that, especially because this was like rapid fire questioning. And when she said that, I was like, all right, girl. All right. I see you. I see you. I love Flynn. And I and I see you. And I I just... Man, Flynn leveled up at that moment for me. He did, yeah. I absolutely felt the same way. I was like, oh, okay. So we've been thinking there's more to you as far as your self-reflection and what you understand about yourself and kind of your internal life. And like now I felt like that was a way 
of showcasing that that was extremely organic. Uh, and then Lobear continues, if you could turn back time and have none of this ever happen, would you? No. If I had the power to sever the connection between our two worlds, would you have me do it? No. Why not? And this is the first time that Flynn pauses. Because I think she doesn't know. <laughs> oh, I don't think she knows. I think in that in that moment, though, she was probably flooded by reasons. Yeah. And one of them, I shall assert that we will go back to our long time theory, that she just doesn't want to give it up. No, she has this whole new world where she is in a body that has superpowers. <laughs> I mean, essentially. Yeah, she's she's playing her dream sim. But it's real. It's a little weird to put those two words next to each other, but that would be her, yeah, her dream simulation. And she no longer has to, like, chastise herself for getting lost in a world that's not real. Because it is. And then, also, I think that she is considering Wilf. Yep. They have a connection now. And I do think, also, I, she doesn't have time in her mind to go through all of this, but let's, you know, conjecture for a moment outside of that. She also does want to help him, I think, find Alita. And even if she doesn't want to, she has made that promise. And we just know what kind of person that she is that that would, you know. I can see her saying, do that once this mission is completed. Yeah. But with everything that had to go through her head at that moment, that was not a rapid fire type answer. No, that was a, that's a, there's a lot of reasons. And then Flynn turns the tables and Wolf looks mortified because like the klept is obviously terrified of the Met police because their entire point is to keep the klept in order. And Flynn is like, well, can I ask you a few questions? Like you've been asking me and Lobier and like Wolf looks mortified. Lobier is like, I'll give you three questions. Like a genie. First question. <laughs> what's your biggest fear? The past. Like where I'm from. Waste of a question, Flynn. Mm -hmm. Lobier responds precisely. She's like, you have one left. She did not give her a chance for like the clarifying follow-up. Nope. That, was, that was very unfair. But hey, also very like a genie. So yeah, she gets three question marks. She used up two. Do you actually have the power to cut the connection between the two worlds? This is where we come to a screeching halt. I apologize for overpromising because she cannot, in fact, answer that question. Okay, I'm going to back up for a second. You tell me if you agree. The first time I saw it, that's what I thought. When she said, I seem to have overpromised. Now, that is not what I think she meant. She says, I'm sorry, dear. I seem to have overpromised. It seems your brother and his friend are almost finished. I now take that to mean what she overpromised was that she could have three questions. I took it as I've overpromised. And like, she cannot answer that question because Flynn hit her with a question that she wasn't prepared to be asked because there's no way that she was going to give up that nugget. Okay. I took it as she literally just is deciding that she didn't have time for the three questions that she promised. Either way, we might, we both might be right and wrong at the same time. There you go. And either way, no one's getting that question answered right Either now. way, that question is not fucking getting answered. Do you think she has that power? No. I don't think I do either. I don't think she has it. Because it sounds like they actually just found out about a lot of this stuff. I think Lobier is somebody who firmly believes in the fake it till you make it mentality. 
Meaning, act as though you have all the answers, even if you don't. Right. Which is not difficult to do when you have so many. (laughs) It's not like she's clueless. So it's like, let me take all the pieces that I do have, act as though I've been able to connect them, and then let somebody else do that for me. Yeah, let somebody else fill in the gaps. Exactly. When I present them with enough information that scares them. Right. So I think that Lobier does not have that ability. I think that the only location that has that ability would be in the R.I.'s God font room. Yes, I agree. I think that R.I. is the only one who could create or destroy stubs, at least at the moment. I, I concur with that. So I don't think that she has that power yet. I'm not saying she never will. Right, exactly. I do think that it it will come down to the point where certainly she could figure out a way or she something will present itself to where that power will be placed in her hands, but I don't believe it exists at this juncture. But yeah, so Lobier basically says bye to Flynn, waves her hand, and bamps Flynn back to 2032. Tells her that she will be much more active next time. Yes. Which scares me a little bit. Terrifies me a lot. I know. It also weirds me out every single time another person kicks Flynn out. I know. It's so disconcerting. It's like, like, what if Flynn is in the middle of something really important? They're just like, eh, or they accidentally wave their hand. I know. It's like everyone does it, though. Initially, we thought, you know, okay, it was Alita. Then it was like Ash. Everybody apparently can just wave their hand and kick her out of the whole world, which is Yeah, it's very scary. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. No, 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 no. The next moment is, I think, one of just my favorite little random moments of the entire episode. So let's give some context. (laughs) We go back to the roof where Beatrice is kicking their asses. It's an awesome fight scene, like all the fight scenes. Beatrice ends up snapping Burton's neck and dropping him on the floor. And Connor, like, gets up and is standing, like, right on the ledge of the roof. And he says, Shorty, you are fucking amazing. (laughs) And, like, he, for some reason, or maybe he just doesn't care because he knows he's in a fake body. But she, this is Sparta's him right off of the fucking roof. She does. And he is laughing all the way down. And I think that's exactly why, like you said, I mean, he knows that it's going to hurt. I bet it doesn't even hurt as much as he hurts all day, every day. Yeah. He's just like, oh, whatever. He is so smitten. He's like, yeah, that bitch. All right. All right. He's just, he loves it so (laughs) much. He literally comes out. Burton is like sick to his stomach. He's like, whatever. Do you always feel like this when you come out? And like the first thing Connor says, Boy, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> Who? He's like, that robot lady. <laughs> he loves her so much. And let's, and we're going to get to it, but it is reciprocated. Yeah. It, I mean, respect though. She's like the most competent person on the planet. He knows he's in a body that's like, you know, kind of robotic. He, he's accepting of this robot human hybrid that he wants to marry. It's fine. Like, it's great. So as Connor and Burton are kind of like riding high, I think, as they come out, like Burton's a little sick, but they're like riding that adrenaline, also feeling all them punches because they don't know that Flynn feels the shit when she comes back. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Burton has seen her hand, but that's all he knows. And to our knowledge, actually, that's coming from the the download, not from the sim particularly. Yeah, but he gets a text message and he opens up his phone and is like, I can't even read this. Like, I'm too like, whoa, what's going on? So Flynn reads it and is like, Reese took mama to urgent care and we need to head there right away. And so she like gets up and like books it out of the room and Burton goes to stand up. and He's like, oh, man, I need a minute. And she's like, man up, Burton. (laughs) We gotta go. (laughs) And then we cut because this is my life right now. Well, I also want to say, I think part of the reason that Flynn is like, we got to go right now is that we just learned that her greatest fear is her mom dying. Oh, 100%. And now she's found out that while they were putzing about in, and having fun, well, some of them were having fun in the future, mama, something went wrong and she's at urgent care. Yeah. So the idea that anything could happen to mama, like because they were not there, I'm sure is like an immediate weight on her. Yeah. So she's like, we got to fucking go and then they do and so does the scene yep so we're back to tommy tommy has arrived at corbell's house and i it's weird the one scene i do want with bob is the one we didn't get because the way that the two of them passed out in the last episode i really thought there was going to be like a cool back and forth regardless of what came from that but instead mary also laying in a pool of blood apparently throat slash with a piece of glass from the fucking fish tank. And surrounded by fish tankery. Yes. Is just, yeah, laying dead. So we don't even need to worry about her anymore. I hate I hate losing a character like that. Which honestly, could couldn't we just killed Corbell and kept Mary? I mean, maybe. I mean, I know for plot we couldn't have, but for Why not? She could run all that. She's shady as fuck. Oh, so she's such a good character. I'm so sad that she's gone. I am too. I bet she was a very good evil. And she, I mean, we talked about before, they were just like the coolest, creepiest couple. Like they were both truly on that same level of like evil. Truly. But Tommy is trying to clear the house because he saw bloody footprints, found Mary's corpse. And he's like, oh shit, is the assailant still here? But he hears some arguing outside and he finds the Corbell, that Corbell and the sheriff are arguing. So he heads outside and uh, Corbell's like, what the fuck is he doing here? And the sheriff just kind of walks over and is like, uh, so I'm going to need you to like holster your gun. It's, you know, it's not going to do any good anymore. You missed the action. And he basically tells him that I'm going to need you to go and arrest Burton and Flynn. And Tommy's like, why? And he's like, well, let's try this on for size. And then he spins a tail, obviously lying. And he's like, uh, Burton and his war buddies got into the drug trade. They crossed somebody they shouldn't have. That person hired a hitman. When you, Tommy, lost the hitman, he made his way over to the picket residence and to steal a car and found more ma- poor Mary in the way and murdered her. I mean, the fact that he would stand there and not only try to like spin a yarn, but to blame it on Tommy. Yeah. That's his breaking point. That's Tommy. I loved it. He's like, how does that sound? And he's like, like, you just fucking made it up because you did. So, and yet we can understand what happens next of like, yeah, but if it's like, you know, me, big time sheriff and Corbell who runs this damn town and we go in saying something different than you, like you're fucked, bro. And who's going to believe your story that 
I stole an invisible car, T-boned you off the road, absconded with the hitman, brought him over to Corbell's place where he escaped and murdered Mary. No one's going to believe that. Exactly. No one's going to believe the truth. But the sheriff does, and I think this is part of when uh, Tommy breaks a bit, because Tommy tells him that his story sounds like bullshit, and the sheriff is like, well, that's what happens when you tell a story. Just like the fucking story you've been telling yourself for the past 10 years. Like, you're some sort of good cop, but ultimately, you work for me, which means you work for Corbell Pickett. He's like, pull your head out of your ass and start playing the game, motherfucker. I think the final hit when he was like, or just act like a fucking adult for once. Yeah. (laughs) I think that might have been one step too far, bud. Because he actually then went and sat down and like thought it all through. Yeah. He's like, you know, you can, you can, we can play this out of, you know, one of a few ways. You can go arrest me and Corbell right now, tell our stories. And the best thing that happens to you in that case is you lose your job. And then he's like, or you can play along and I'll set you up with a better job. Maybe you get some more responsibility, you know, like you're trying to sweeten the deal to sell him on it because he's corrupt. He don't care. So he gives him two options and Tommy like, and he's like, go, just go and fucking get the fishers. Well, this is an either or type situation, right? Well, we're going to learn quickly that only simple, selfish idiots think of situations as only either or because there is always a third option. That's a really good w- way to apply that to like multiple situations in this episode. I didn't think of that. Bravo. Yeah. So we, uh, Tommy walks off. And then we jump back to 2100 where we're in Lobier's office where Lobier and Beatrice are reviewing the footage of Burton and Connor fighting. And I don't have the exact terminology of how this evaluation goes. So I'm going to let you take that away. Okay. So basically Beatrice is explaining, you know, what's going on and how well Burton and Connor did, you know, especially their first time out and talking about how the technology overlapped with the haptics that they already have, that seems to be the one that's also in the peripherals. And this is really interesting. So Beatrice tells Lobier that she thought they were brave, assertive, and resolute. Calls Burton the more predictable and dependable one, but goes out and says she would marginally, she'd be marginally more inclined to turn to Connor in a crisis. And mm-hmm. Lobier is like, why? And, and Beatrice is kind of like, what do you mean, why? She's like, well, you know, you have predictable and dependable, then why would you turn to the other one? And this is where Beatrice, in whatever programming she's dealing with, has the lack of vocabulary to be like, because I like him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's hot. <laughs> yeah, so Beatrice has no language for that. And we're kind of just like, okay, well, what what is that? that they? What it reminds me of is how Wilf brought the metcoid into his argument with Flynn. Like, you're appealing to some sort of empathy or, like, human feeling. Which I'm gonna say that if Sharice were able to figure out that that existed, would squash that in the design of coids. Oh, so true. She would be absolutely uninterested in that, except for where Daniel was concerned. She wanted him to be exactly like he was. Well, yes. Then, Beatrice kind of her attention gets drawn away and Lobier's like, Oh, what is it? She's like, Oh, Sharice Newland has arrived. And Lobier is just like, ah, finally, 
Because what happened was Lobier lifted the veil enough for Charisse to be able to observe them arriving at Lev's place. Right. So the only thing that she wanted Charisse to be able to know was, we have shown up here. I am so curious. And I guess I kind of said it earlier and I don't, there's nowhere to go with it per se, but what's with all this veil stuff? Yeah. Who's lifting and putting down like, A bunch of security measures just around themselves, around locations, around what... It seems like some of these people are extremely powerful with what other people can see, like, across the entirety of what we know as, like, the world in London. Yeah. So Cerise, though, has, you know, as she does, like she did last time when Flynn was like, oh, I was on security, don't worry, she'll be right here. That's essentially what Cerise does to Lobier. As soon as I realized you were gone, like, I'm on my way. Sharice so, just manifests in places. <laughs> as, she's, she's very, like, the Beetlejuice of it all. <laughs> yeah. So now we're going to do a bunch of, like, really short, quick-cutting scenes because we're getting to the climax of the episode. And so we go to Tommy's car where he has a bit of a meltdown. So he's still outside of the Pickett residence. And he, like smashes his hands against the steering wheel because he's like, how are you going to live with yourself if he turns on the fissures? And then he kind of has an epiphany and he looks at his passenger seat and he sees Bob's Glock and the doodad. And he kind of, you can see like the gears turning in his head. Yeah. And then we cut back to Dee Dee's clinic slash the road where Mama in the clinic asks what now to Bob and Bob is looking out the window and playing with Reese's phone and says that they wait because he needs to kill two people. And Mama realizes that he's talking about her children. Yeah, because everybody's been after them. Yeah. And then we jump over to the road where Burton is driving like a fucking lunatic and gets a text from Reese's phone. But there is A fatal flaw in the text message because everybody calls Ella mama and Bob made the mistake of calling her their mother Mm. and everyone went, what? Well, that ain't right. (laughs) (laughs) So immediately as with this group, they're like, let's link in with him and see what the fuck is going on. Let's have Leon link in with him. I get the impression that Leon has like a special role in the group. Maybe. That or he's just a glutton for punishment. Oh, I know. But he seems to be the one that does this more than the others. And like you said, I mean, it may just be kind of like his role because what else is he doing? But it it's very interesting to see them always discuss that and who's linking with who. And it's always like Leon is at the center of it. Well, Leon links up with Reese and he quickly realizes that Reese is dead because he doesn't get any vitals. Right. So Burton drives even more like a lunatic. Then we jump back to police HQ at Lobier's office where Sharice walks in. And she likes to point out that peripherals never operate as autonomous beings, a.k.a. like a separate person. And Lobier explains that Beatrice is under a special waiver. And this is when Charisse explains kind of the deal with Coids doesn't look like we made this. What do you have going on here? And she explains how 
the vast majority of coids are now modified to resemble somebody that the person knew that is now dead, gone, whatever, because of the jackpot. And ends up calling Lobeer straight out, this is your daughter. And why are you hiding that? And then Lobeer, seeing Beatrice's reaction, like, Beatrice, dear, I'm going to need you to power down for now and scrub the last five minutes from your memory. And Beatrice does, because she is an obedient, weird simulacrum of a deceased daughter. That is so sad. Like, that hurt my heart. It was very upsetting. Obviously, for, like, the gone-type Beatrice, I mean, you know, is it hurting on the coid side? I don't know. But I I desperately hurt for Lovier to look at her and say, you know, like, I'm so sorry, I'm going to have to ask you to do that. And you can see how much it hurt her. And Sharice is like, why hide it? And Lobier explains, like, it would complicate our relationship. And she's like, are you proud of yourself? And you can tell Sharice is. <laughs> oh, of course. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I disrupted someone's relationships and made things super awkward. I am absolutely thrilled out of my mind. Yes. And Sharice tells Lobier that she is there because something of great value has been stolen from her and she's seeking help from the law to get it back. Which she had no interest in doing until she realized that Lobier had involved herself in it around any of these people. Yeah. Yeah. And then we go to what is one of the best scenes, I think. We cut to 2100. We're back at Love's residence. Ossian and Ash are accessing something they shouldn't be, and Ossian is terrified. But Ash explains that we're the only ones who know, so we'll be fine. And Ossian points out that Alita knows, because somehow these two are in cahoots with Alita. Yeah, but everyone is just assuming that Alita is dead. Or she's gone so far underground that she might as well be dead. Right. She'll never be a part of this again. Which I don't agree with because I fucking love Alita. <laughs> she will be back. She will be back. I will manifest it into being, even if I have to somehow travel to 2100 my fucking <laughs> self. It's, yeah, that's so true. So this is where we get confirmation, though, for what we have been thinking, which is, you know, the weird bacteria thing that's in Flynn's head that presented as a seizure. But then Dee, Dee pointed out, like, whatever the hell you've got going on, it's just in this one place is really intriguing information that like there was no place to download it. So the brain read the data as like bacteria. I don't know that that like scientifically makes sense. Probably not, but I think it's really interesting. They're talking about this and they're like, Oh, we need to find a way to access the bacteria and sequence it. And how do we do that? And Ash is like, well, we need to find somebody in the stub, dot, dot, dot. Ossian cuts her off because Lev is arriving in person. And they're talking in doop, dop, doop, doop, dop, doop, dop, doop, 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 language. <laughs> they keep doing that. The interesting thing to me, though, about that was Alita's original plan was to download it into Burton's haptics. And because it was Flynn that came in instead, that's how we get this like whole wonky thing. Like, Alita had a plan. She wasn't just trying to screw over this person. But now Flynn has all this craziness in her head simply because she went in impersonating Burton in the original quote-unquote sim. Well, and that's something that makes sense having learned a bit more about Alita in our flashback with Grace. When Grace is like, oh, they're just people at a stub. Like, watch them get blown up. Ha ha ha. 
Uh, and she's like, no, stop it. Those are real people. Those are real people. Like she doesn't want to fuck with people in the stub. She wants to help people in some way. Right. Like she is, she's a bad, good girl. Right. And yeah, this action does verify everything she was saying to Grace. Like that could have been viewed as contradictory, but we see now she really was trying to help. And it's ultimately Flynn that accidentally fucked up this whole process. Yeah. And so when Love arrives, Ozzy wants to table the conversation, but in their gibberish language, Ash gets a little cocky because he can't understand her. And she's like, it's going to be even better doing it right under his arrogant nose. And then all of a sudden, Lev just goes, arrogant. Hmm? And they both freeze and are like, what the fuck? And he goes on this little monologue of his own about how, uh, oh, your your coded language that nobody can understand. He's like, that's the flaw with codes that you think that they can't be hacked or deciphered or broken into. I don't remember the exact terminology, but basically he cracked the code and he could speak gibberish. Uh-huh. And he turns to his son and is like, go fetch a knife from daddy's study. <laughs> and then he tells Austin and Ash that he's pissed and he wants to destroy them both. That's like the, the childish part of him. But he realizes that he needs them. And he actually kind of likes them. Well, he actually likes Ash. He could take or leave Ossian. That is such a sad thing to say, like, in the middle of all that. I kind of want to kill y'all. I know that you have talents, though, so I can't. But, like, also that guy, I don't really care about. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really care about Ossian. And then Lev's son arrives with a knife. He's like, this is my favorite from your collection. (laughs) Can I stay and watch? And he's like, oh, no, no. And you totally get the idea that his son has stayed and watched him murder people before. I, yeah, definitely got that idea. Or at least that he so much understands what dad is doing that he's now been asking to watch. Yeah. So even if he hasn't seen it before, it's he's very aware of what's going on. Yeah, but instead he gets sent to the kitchen for some pudding. And Ossian gets a knife held to his heart. And like, as Lev is about to kill Ossian, Ash admits that Alita thought she was working with Flynn's brother and planned to store the data in his haptics. But instead, it got sword in Flynn's brain. And Lev wants to know what they were planning on doing with the data. And Ash says that they were going to sell it to the highest bidder. But Lev does not believe her. Because that's not Ash. No, that's not Ash. So he slices Ossian's cheek open. And then Ash admits that they were going to give it to the Neoprims. And he's like, why the fuck would you want to do that? And she's like, so they can burn this fucking world to the ground and build a new one in its place. Ugh, perfect. Perfect. So good. Then he calls her a romantic fool, and I'm like, she has a rebel heart in her, and she's willing to sacrifice everything for the betterment of humanity. But he instead goes, he goes and talks about how he likes her because she has a clept heart. Like, she's like a clept. She's cunning arrogant, a bunch of other things. And that's (laughs) sneaky. And that's part of the reason that he likes her. So like, I think he's kind of like game respects game right now, Mm -hmm. but he does warn them if they ever double cross him again, that he'll have no choice, but to carve them up and feed him to his pets. And then we get a really bad CGI Tasmanian tiger. (laughs) Yeah, it was bad. It was not good. (laughs) <laughs> and that's okay. They spent the entire budget on that eight-story building. 
yeah, fair. So they didn't have the budget for the pets. Much more important anyway. And then so Lev goes, all right, well, let's get to work because he wants to mine this fucking data. Well, we cut back to the police headquarters where Charisse explains to Lobier that every single vector of the jackpot was weaponized by the same disruptor, human nature, and basically set, boils down every human impulse to a simple resistance to acting for the collective greater good. Then she asks, may I? And she's utilizing the screen in the office. The things that she's explaining so matter-of-factly, I feel like really give her legs to stand on when she's in this office. So she talks about what was stolen. You can see that that was done by Burton and Alita. The presence of a Zubob associate at the crime scene, which was Wilf. Yes. Who Lobier had already uh, threatened to execute. They think that they're targeting their new neural adjustment mechanism, which is a highly sensitive area of research. So what do we think that is? I think based off of her little monologue about human nature and its resistance to act for the greater good, I think that she wants to remove free will. Okay. Okay. I could see that. It specifically made me think about Grace's whole spiel about the compassion centers they had been scurrying with. Okay. Because, you know, she specifically said, like, it'll stop war, it'll stop whatever. So, basically, to make humans value other humans more than themselves. Right. Take away free will. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I just... <laughs> you said that you said it a bit more nuanced than I did. <laughs> oh, I totally agree with you. I was just comparing it right back to specifically what it made me think about. So I'm assuming that neural adjustment mechanism is an implant, which basically has the means to completely screw with your levels of whatever the hell in your brain. Yeah. Which is what some of the experiments that they were running on the unit, on Burton's unit. Exactly. And then Lobier listens to all of this and asks Sharice, what is it that you want? Like, why are you here? And Sharice very plainly states, I would like you to destroy the Zubobs and Flynn Fisher in, in the stub, both here and in the stub. I want you to, everyone associated with them, wipe them off the face of the earth on this timeline and in the stub. Super crazy. You make it sound so simple as if I could merely wave a wand, which Lobier has been doing constantly. So I don't know. See, it seems reasonable. Yeah, it really does. And then she says, Cherie says, there's a precedent. The Samsonovs, they wipe the entire clan off the face of the earth. So now, clearly, I'm curious about who they are. Season two, baby. I know, right? And Lobier's trying to explain how that situation was different, but it's like, I mean, no, they're trying to overthrow like our world and our way of life. So that's kind of where they end. I mean, they have, their back and forth is incredible. Their back and forth is very good. Yeah. I mean, we could read the entire scene, but you need to watch it. It's amazing how they're, how they're volleying back and forth. So Cherise, as she's wont to do, invites Lobier to come over for tea sometimes, which, like, stay away from that fucking honey, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, tea with Charisse never ends well, whether you are Grace or Lev or anybody. She ends up with your freaking DNA, and then we're not really sure what she's going to do with it. Yeah, let's let's just not fuck with Charisse. Like, no tea time with Charisse. So as Charisse leaves, we cut back to 2032. We're at the clinic again. And Bob is sitting in a covered spot in the clinic next to a vending machine and by the door. So he's in like a prime position. And he explains that he has a daughter whose life has been threatened if he doesn't kill mama's kids, Flynn and Burton. Mm -hmm. And she calls him a fool because he only sees the world as either or because in his mind, either his daughter dies or her kids die. Right. And he's like, oh, are you saying there's a third option? And she basically throws a dig at him. And she's like, just hearing your voice, I can tell you're not the kind of person that would even consider it. And he's like, well, try me. And she's like, you could die. Yeah. Why not you? (laughs) Neither one of our sets of kids has to die. We can just cut you out of the equation. Problem solved. And yeah, I mean, Bob's not about that life. But I do feel like the way that she was really cautiously challenging him and having a conversation with him was a super great stall tactic. We get a little bit of where Flynn gets some of her uh, fire from. Yes, absolutely. But the thing is, he didn't particularly have any reason to keep the two of them alive. So whether that's just showing that, you know, he really is doing the thing to Flynn and Burton specifically because of the situation that he's in, I think that's what it does show, but that doesn't mean that Bob is in any kind of like, he's not going to win any awards for not killing people. Bob sucks. <laughs> Truly. So as they're having this conversation, his mom was like, you could die. Lynn, Leon and Burton arrive and go into ops mode and Connor arrives too, trying to ID the bad guys. So Burton has Flynn take like thermal goggles and go around the car to look on the inside. Cause they all have thermal vision built into their haptics, I guess. And then we cut back inside where mama calls Bob a cowardly, selfish fool for not being willing to die. And I just wanted to cut back in there so that I could call Bob a cowardly, selfish fool. Oh, absolutely. Totally. And I love that it kind of just evoked several different feelings in me when Flynn, you know, always led by emotion, is trying to get them to go in there. And Burton says, this is the one fucking thing I'm good at. Can you just trust me? And I, poor Burton, yay Burton, so many things about Burton. I think we're going to need to line up a lot of blankets because more people than just ASEAN need swaddling in this show. That is true. We, we need a group therapy. Yeah, truly. So they get a thermal reading on the inside. There are three alive people, one dead person on the ground, one cold person on the ground that they assume is Reese. And Flynn's like, I think that, you know, the, the guy on the right is, is the, uh, is the assailant. And Connor's like, that's a little too eeny, meeny, miny, mo for my taste. Mm. Yeah, let's not just assume which one is the bad guy. Because yeah, we don't want to kill Dee Dee. We don't want to kill your mom. We want to kill the correct person. And Burton has the idea, Leon, link up your haptics into the ANS of Reese. Because we might be able to get his body to twitch. And if the guy sees his body twitch, he might think he's still alive and we can get him to move and then we'll know which one to shoot. Great idea. Connor's not having it. Connor's like, dude, no, because Lan will feel like death, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah. 
I would assume so. Or like the pain that would be present if he was still alive. Which is like 75 million stab wounds. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I assume it's just like you meant like whatever he just went through in his death. If he's linked up to that, then Leon would feel it. Right. And while they're freaking arguing over it, Leon is like, why are you still talking? Let's get this done. Yeah. Just like always, he steps up and he's going to do it. Poor Leon. He's always got the dirty jobs. He really does. So he, he does it. And Reese's body does twitch and Bob gets up and moves over with, and like points a gun to shoot Reese in the fucking head. And I love where Flynn, she's like, it's him. He's moving. And then she just goes, execute. And boom, Burton shoots him. He goes down. We see him in a pool of his own blood. Thank fuck. Bob is finally fucking dead. Yeah, and just in case we were curious about that, Burton does step in when they all rush inside to make sure Mom is okay and freaking shoots him in the head like three times. So, bye, Bob. We hardly knew thee. We knew thee too much. We don't like you. Bye. And then we cut to Corbell's house where Corbell is telling the sheriff, I need that old man alive, <laughs> alive, Davis. There's some things I want him to do. That is just the perfect cut because we just saw him just die definitively die yeah and and corbell is sitting there like i need that guy alive and we're just like snickering in the corner like sure you do bud and as they're talking about their evil machinations tommy comes in and he's like you know what i think i came up with a pretty fucking good story sheriff i would like to run this by you oh man so his plan is what he'd like to tell everybody yeah the old man did come here and uh, he killed Mary and, oh man, you know, Mr. Pickett, he called the police when he found her. But Sheriff, I mean, since since you are such a great elected official that takes his job so seriously, you, you were the first on the scene, but, oh, the guy was still here and you didn't have time to draw your weapon. And I mean, he just shot you. Here we go. Multiple times, I'm afraid. <laughs> Best part and then all of a sudden the sheriff realizes he's not dealing with quite the person he thought he was no because he broke tommy tommy realized that he couldn't avoid playing this game any longer he walked in with bob's 45 brandishing the gun that was recovered on the bridge and then he shoots the sheriff a lot i think it was seven times either way let's call it plenty (laughs) he unloads the entire clip so sheriff pool of blood thank you show assuming that he's done pool of blood means he's dead we're yeah we're assuming so corbell is like kind of impressed like wow i uh i did not see that coming did not, you know, think you were ready. But then, of course, he immediately challenges him and he's like, you don't have the balls or the bullets. Corbell makes a move and goes and grabs the sheriff's gun because he's going to take out Tommy. But Tommy has a backup weapon, the doodad. <laughs> and he says, I, I mean, Tommy, this whole episode is like, I wish people would stop bothering me about this thing. I don't know what it's called and I'm going to do it. He's like, Corbell goes, the fuck that's supposed to be? And he said, oh. It's a doodad, you arrogant piece of shit. And Sonic Boom Boom Gun goes Sonic Boom, shatters all the glass in Corbell's like fancy 
front ro- or backyard room, shoots him out into the backyard, and we l- pan to Tommy, and that's where the episode ends. <sighs> and I would say that because it's in the preview that the deputy screams, EMT's got a pulse, and they're like, for who? And then it cuts off. Corbell's alive. Yeah, maybe we wouldn't have immediately assumed it, but for sure, Corbell's alive. Unless it's like the doodad is like right up against an organ that matters. You can survive getting hit with the sonic boom boom gun. Yeah, we have seen people get up after this. And that was kind of the only thing I was like, oh, Tommy, you did all of this and you did not go make sure that guy is dead. I mean, I got frustrated for a second and then I just felt so bad for him. I'm like, oh, God, Tommy, 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 Tommy. This is going to come back to haunt you. You always like (laughs) I'm just thinking Tommy doesn't watch enough horror movies like the guy's never dead. Yeah, I know. Unless you see them in a pool of their own fucking blood in this world, they're not dead. Yeah, exactly. But this was a fantastic episode. This was we we were bitching about how we weren't getting fed, and then they brought out appetizers and the main course. Yeah, the the table is full now of food, but I'm still hungry. Nope, leaving that. <laughs> I, <laughs> it didn't work. I. I'm so like revved up. I'm so scared and I'm so like, I'm afraid to be so hopeful because we've got what 50 minutes, maybe an hour. It depends on what the runtime of that last one is. But I mean, shit, that could be like an hour and a half episode for all we know. True. That is true. But we're going to, I mean, like this is it. And I need season two so bad. Like, I guess they're going to wrap up some stuff. Obviously that's going on, but then I'm already like my brain is already turning gears over like what is the twist that's going to open this story up for it to continue. Yeah. I don't know. And for all we know, they only intended on one season. I hope that that's not the case because the world that they're creating is so fucking juicy. Like I want more. I need more. If it was intended to be one, then I have a lot of issues with focus. Pacing? Yeah, pacing and focus. If it's intended to be more, I have a lot of issues with Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Because I need them to renew it immediately. Yeah, but that I think that the episodes before this were necessary to lay the groundwork for this one. But given that that groundwork was laid, this so far is my favorite episode of the season. I agree with you. I think that this is my favorite episode as well, just because they've been giving us little tidbits and nuggets. And we finally put together so many of the pieces. There is more understanding as to why Ash has been the most sympathetic towards Flynn's plight in this Mm -hmm. so far we learned that lev truly is completely a fucking sociopath we didn't learn much about wilf and where he lands on that sociopath scale with lev i mean for now i really do just believe him when he says like i was looking for my sister i i believe him as well but there's one of those things where you don't hang around monsters that often without it rubbing off on you a little bit yeah for sure and it appears that he already thinks that about himself anyway 
True. Because of what he did to the neoprims when he was younger. He, he views himself that way. So it wouldn't be too difficult for someone to quote unquote nurture that. Oh, that sounds horrific in that context, but it, I, that wouldn't be too difficult for right now, though. I believe him. And I just think like this particular episode, he wasn't as important per se, but I do think that it was monumental that Flynn asked for him to come with them. I do too. But the cool thing about this one is I think it really did a great job of balancing action with plot progression with character moments. Because, I mean, just the thing about Flynn, it took her, you know, two lines to reveal, like, what's your biggest strength? I'll never quit. What's your biggest weakness? Same thing. Moments like that can get lost in a narrative. And I think that they did really well with Lobier being allowed to have all those conversations with people while Burton and Connor were off doing the fighting. And then Bob was like doing his whole thing, murder thing. And, and Tommy was also having to deal with like a, a moral quandary. I, I think that the Lobier and Flynn stuff like centered the episode really well for all those things to be happening. And especially too, I think we got a lot of the interior life of Tommy in this one as well. I would, I'll say, I think there's only one thing that this episode was missing. Alita. (laughs) No, I don't even think Alita was necessary in this episode. The only thing this episode was missing was Billy Ann with a motherfucking shotgun. Billy Ann with a shotgun on the bridge. I mean, where's our girl? Where is our girl? Also, I feel like anytime Bob is up to shenanigans, she just needs to like pop out from a corner and be like, I'm still really good with the shotgun, motherfucker. Oh my God, that would have been an absolute delight to have her kind of walk in from the back. <laughs> like I was just doing my daily rounds <laughs> and just level him. Oh, it would have been so good. <laughs> uh, but that's just obviously where he trans with Billy Ann and her shotguns. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we have an alternate stub where Billy Ann came in the back of the clinic and shot Bob. Yeah. I, I'm totally down with that. Yeah, that's that's our alternate reality that we've created. <laughs> <laughs> we have our own stub. We'll make what we want in there. <laughs> Alita's much more present in that stub too, for sure. I I mean, I just loved it. I am now like overly thrilled for the finale, and I I hope that it can live up to its preview. I hope that it can live up to. What has gonna be for us? That preview was wild. It is insane. And you already have Flynn talking about, you know, if I die, I save my family. Like she's ready to sacrifice herself. And as much as I love that and I love that trait about her, there's part of it that's rooted in the fact that she just doesn't value her own life very much. And I don't need that. At least in the promo, she's very for my people. Very for my people. But I think what she's gonna find out is her people are for her and they're just not going to allow said things. I need for no one to die in this finale. And I just feel like that's probably asking for too much. People are going to die. I just hope that it's the losses are ones that we can process and come to accept. Have we elevated Tommy to death watch? A hundred percent. The very episode that you tell me that they were married you're also going to tell me that you think he dies. Well, here's, here's the reason. This is very much like 
it's like the police officer who is one week from retirement type feeling of Tommy's story arc. I know, like, you did it, you won, buddy. So now you're gonna fucking get killed. So I, I think we're on Tommy Death Watch. I also think that if they kill Tommy, that is going to provide a lot of really good character moments in season two. I'm a little bit scared about Burton, too. Because we just found out he's not supposed to be alive. Yeah, and I feel like if the only way around Flynn dying is him dying instead, then of course he's going to do that. Oh, that's that's very... I know that they're not romantically involved, but that's very Daisy... Um, Lincoln. Lincoln, yeah. In AOS. Ugh, I know. Well, now that we've depressed ourselves thinking about the next episode, I know, I'm just sitting here like <laughs> blankly staring at the wall. Like... <laughs> I cannot lose these people. <laughs> we will we will be catatonically staring at the wall, dreading who dies in the next episode. While hopefully you guys have enjoyed listening to this episode and we didn't bring you down too much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we could uh, be on survival watch. Pretty sure Flynn's going to make it through. <laughs> Flynn survival watch. Unfortunately, pretty sure Corbell is too. So yeah, you can't kill Corbell. Yeah, I think it's too early for that. He's too much of a foil for our uh, 2032 timeline yeah as well as just like kind of a linchpin of that entire town yeah it's it's too early for him to be taken out it wasn't too early for like stupid useless sheriffs also can we just i this just popped into my head remember how he paid jasper to keep an eye on the fishers and then we never saw jasper again yes and then we never saw jasper I, uh, I, in fact, do recall that, yes. <laughs> the only conversation he's shown up in since was for Billy and to question him about what Corbell wanted for him taking the money. And then Jasper just, like, vamoosed off to a private island, I guess. <laughs> he, took, he took that wad of cash. It's yeah. like, not gonna... one time has he looked for the Fishers. <laughs> no, that's like how Corbell took the money from 2100 and was like, maybe I just won't kill the Fishers because they're paying me. Exactly. So Corbell has Daniel's money. Corbell also has the Fisher's money. Jasper got a little bit of money, but apparently not enough to continue existing. Yep. So let's go on Jasper Death Watch. We can get rid of him. Yeah, Jasper Death Watch. <laughs> okay, well, only a couple days till the finale. Yep. Thank you for listening. And thank you for all of your really kind ratings and reviews. We really appreciate it. We will probably do uh, at the end of our next of our episode eight coverage, we will read off the names of all of our new reviewers and thank them for leaving such kind words. And yeah, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. All right. Take care, guys.